0: Welcome to The Wave, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and life after 40. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Emily Peck, a business reporter at Axios and co-host of Slate Money. And I'm joined by the one, the only, Tavi broduser Ackner, a writer for The New York Times magazine, known for celebrity profiles of everyone from Gwyneth Paltrow to Tom Hanks to Bradley Cooper, and the author of the 2019 best-selling novel, Fleischman is in Trouble, which just debuted as a TV series on FX. You can watch it on Hulu. Taffy, I'm so happy to talk to you today on The Waves. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I had a whole long thing written out describing the show and why I want to talk about it. But then I was like, let me just ask Taffy to do that. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So maybe you could just sort of like give us the premise for the show and sure. then why
1: you think it's a good thing to talk about it on, on a f- podcast about feminism. Okay. Yeah, Shaman is in Trouble is a TV show from a book about a man who is luxuriating in his first post-divorce summer of app-assisted sexual freedom when his ex-wife drops the kids off a day ahead of his custodial weekend and then doesn't pick them up. He looks for her, finds out where she is, makes peace with the fact that she doesn't seem to be coming home, and tries to figure out how he could have done things differently, how his marriage could have gone differently or any permutation of the above. <laughs> All right. And I mean, for my point of view, it's about
0: divorce. It's about like r- life doesn't end
1: after 40 kind of a thing. It's about midlife crisis, crisis. It's like about it's like, yeah, crisis, like midlife crises and middle age and lifelong friendship and nostalgia. Like the th- you hear about midlife crises a lot. I know from being on a lot of podcasts that that's how you say it. <laughs> Thank you. you. You hear about midlife crises a lot, but you don't really – I did not feel that I had ever read much about what are the ingredients of the crisis, right? Like what, what exactly happens? I was always told that it, it was about a man who feels the hot breath of relevance on his neck. And gets a sports car Mm -hmm. and marries a cocktail waitress. Like that was the story we were given when we were in the 80s and 90s. And you got a Porsche and you start wearing aviator sunglasses. And that's how it goes for you. Um, (laughs) And until I woke up on the day of my 40th birthday, I never truly understood that the active ingredient of the midlife crisis is not the amount of time you have looking forward, but the amount of time you have looking back.
0: I'm gonna pause right there. We're gonna get into that coming up on The Waves. Hey Waves listeners, if you're new to the show, welcome. And if you like the show, do us a favor and subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too. Lately, we've been talking about why men should ejaculate responsibly. And we have a great episode coming up with comedians and authors Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar on their new book, The World Record Book of Racist Stories. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously. And 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm here with Taffy brodesser Ackner. Taffy, in your book, Fleischman is in Trouble, now a series on FX and Hulu, there are several characters, including Libby, having essentially a midlife
1: crisis, right? Everyone is. Everyone is in trouble in this, in this. Everyone is having some form of a crisis in this book and this show, which is what brings them together in the first place.
0: And the reason to talk... in to frame it through divorce is because divorce what is sort of like this cataclysmic event that inspires the midlife crisis or divorce, you have one because you're having?
1: No, I think it's that divorce asks you to redefine your life. And I think it's a reckoning for a lot of people to figure out what, what have I done and am I willing to live with the consequences of it for the duration? Whoever you married, it limits your choices for the future. Marriage limits your choices, but also not getting married limits your choices for the future. And I think Fleischman exists at the moment where you realize that everyone is so completely fucked because there was no good way to do this.
0: To do adulthood. Yeah. One character is getting divorced. One is is
1: married, but kind of questioning. She's not questioning her marriage. She's questioning whether or not no longer recognizing herself if it was marriage that was the element that did it. And the
0: reason she no longer recognizes herself, because I, I feel like it's it's understood that had she been a man in the industry of her choosing, it would have gone
1: much differently for her. Then right? she'd be having a different kind of crisis, right? Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think anyone escapes this. My big question, I guess, is
0: why take us through this Toby Fleischmann journey, right? He's kind
1: of like the main character of this story, but it feels like he sh- it ha- The story, in now, now we can say, mm-hmm. has a revolving main character, right? It goes from Toby to Rachel to ultimately Libby, mm-hmm. where we find out why she was telling this story in the first place. And Libby is, in in Mike's, if you look at it as something I wrote From the standpoint of someone who's writing profiles and who's a journalist, Mm -hmm. I'm very concerned with questions of authorship, not whether or not someone's an author, but how is the story changed by the person who is telling it? How do you see events when presented with them, depending on who you are on that day?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, and how you're feeling, right? I did a profile of a chef once who told me that he's not he would never write a cookbook, or he didn't write a cookbook because recipes are so faulty because they. Try to recreate the same experience over and over Mm -hmm. when really food changes depending on how you feel that day, what you just ate, what's going on with you hormonally, what your mood is like. If you're angry at your children, like everything changes, which is why you can make the same recipe over and over and have different experiences with it. I think that stories are like that, too. I think that I've told stories through the lens of what was going on in my life. And the answer to your question is why make Toby the main character of the story? Okay. Two reasons. Um, One is because I wanted this to be a sort of echo of the kind of book I grew up with. The Philip Roth, John Updike story of the recently heartbroken man in crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, I... I think we're at an age where we either create something original or subvert the th- – originally subvert the thing that existed. That's what I wanted to do. But the second reason is is worse, is awful. The second reason is because when I turned 40 and my friends started coming to me and telling me that they were divorced to the point where if I hadn't heard from someone in a while, I knew that they were going to call me to tell me that they were divorced. <laughs> like this – it was like – it's so funny um, – I I grew up in a religious household, and I went to a yeshiva, and there was something I always remember the rabbis telling me, which was that you weren't allowed to learn mysticism till you were 40, because 40 is the age of wisdom. Like, you have to accumulate all your knowledge, and at 40, something happens where suddenly you have wisdom. God, it was never true. (laughs) But I wonder if all those people who just woke up and were like, oh, wait, this isn't right, and they left their marriages – my friends would show me their phones, both male and female, and the men w- were having this amazing experience of sexual renewal on these mm-hmm. apps, and the women, if if they could get any action, were it was so miserable. Again, my friends, from mm-hmm. where I'm sitting, perhaps apps have worked for women above forty, um, for other people, but. I remember a friend of mine coming to my house to change before a date, and I was like, "Can I see it?" You know, I'm writing this book. Can I see? Can I see who this guy is? Yeah. And she showed me this sort of fine, okay guy, and his his like the body of the description was. My, my wife was a narcissist and a nightmare, and if you're someone who likes to play games, please move on from this. But um, if you're not you know, swipe whatever direction you swipe in Mm -hmm. to, you know, say yes. And it was so horrible. And I said to her, what, like, which part charmed you the most? (laughs) And she was, she's like, this is what there is. And she's like, I don't know. I don't like to be like, she's so pretty. And, you know, she's like so nice. And she's so kind. And she's not controversial in any sort of, Superficial way that you would expect would make the pickens slim. And I felt like you're going to write a book. Do you want to start it with the glory of volume? or do you want to start it with the misery of scarcity? And that's but it was mostly that I was starting from the point of view of this kind of novel that I grew up loving. and, that I grew up not questioning. I don't lo- I don't love admitting this, but whereas so many of my peers looked at those stories and saw misogyny in them and saw dismissal of women in them and saw a sort of absence of women in them, I-, I I was late to that. I was very late to that. And I always had a little bit of shame. But once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. I grew up thinking all that writing was the best writing and i never questioned that the women were total narcissists or true crazy, true's or true's. And crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh i'm totally with you and i think in the show there's a scene um where the libby character lizzie kaplan goes to a reading of like her beloved mm-hmm. the beloved archer sylvan uh, yes yes by christian slater which, yes genius move <laughs> um and it's just like he's just this misogynist POS. Like, it's just disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, those are the men I was taught as a Gen X. Yep. These are the geniuses. Yeah. I could never. And, and I think deep inside, never admitted out loud. I was like, well, I'll never be that. I can never be a successful writer because um, I, I, I'm not a
1: dude like that. I tried a lot. I went to GQ. I yeah. really I was I and I feel like what I learned from there is not I wasn't trying to be a dude. It's that I saw that the men writing for magazines like that were the only writers who were really free. Like I was mm-hmm. I was I started out as a freelancer and I would write for women's magazines and women's magazines were trying so hard to assert control over their audience. You have to be on a diet. You have like the men's magazines never mentioned that. They were just trying to tell you interesting stories about the things you should know, which you would say, like, why isn't that just a person's magazine? Because the men demanded entertainment and and knowledge. And the women, the women, we, I, as a willing subscriber to first teen magazines and then women's magazines, like was I'm so shocked at who I became, because now I look back on the, like those magazines were telling me what to do and mm-hmm. what was acceptable and how to go from day to night and how like thin I should be and how miserable I should be if I were. And like, they didn't inform me that much. And the when they did inform me, it was to control me. It was about calories. It was about birth control. And the writing, when they would tell me what to write. Not all these magazines, a lot of them, especially when you write a personal essay, they allowed you to speak in a voice similar to yours. But when you would write a reported story, it was always write as if I am the slightly older best friend who knows just a little more than mm-hmm. the reader. Like, and at GQ, I could just be myself. I had no imperative other than to tell the best version of a story and it left me not with like these guys were misogynists it left me with this is where you get to be free why are men allowed to be free
0: yes and in both in both formats the woman is not a
1: whole person right and there's then- no way for a woman to ever just have her do and when and when she does all we get are treaties on, on likability. It's never, you know, it's never as on the nose as she's unlikable. It's a story about characters who are unlikable, or it's discussed in a review in ways of being liked. It's interesting to me to see some reviews of Fleischmann discuss. Toby being likable, and I wonder if it's because I'm a woman. Nobody ever asked if Nathan Zuckerman was likable. Oh my god! (laughs) Like, but you know, Toby Fleischman—is he likable in in the way he's caring for his children? Is he likable? I think I think, I think Toby's even good. I'm saying good reviews talk about that. Right. It's a metric that I never had to deal with before.
0: How do you think about that in your journalism and your writing? Because you write profiles of women, right? And so, and now you know, maybe we didn't know before growing up, but now you know that we judge women differently based on like ability, all that right. stuff. So, how do you bring that to the table when you're like writing a profile of Gwyneth Paltrow, the the woman who you know no one likes or everyone likes or whatever it is?
1: Gwyneth is a very set is very separate from all of them because I felt that. What I wanted to contend with was why people have such strong feelings about her. And the answer was because the way she presents herself is a mirror that reflects yourself back at you, which is where resentment comes from, right? Like most women work so hard to show you how much they're like you. And she doesn't need to do that. She's like, no, I'm not eating a hamburger. I'm not tucking into this booth and ordering a quadruple cheeseburger just so that and say and shrugging and saying I have good genes. <laughs> I am saying I work really hard for my body and my health and my skin. That's why she so naturally became a a wellness business person, because she was already doing this. She was already reflecting us back to ourselves. However, the other women I just don't think in terms for men or women of whether or not I like them. I think only of what they are trying to tell the world. Like the style of interview I do is not really an interview. It is a lot of listening because I think that when you get to people who are super duper famous, they I'm I'm so interested in their interaction with fame and what they feel the way I use my access is to figure out what they feel misunderstood about because that's the most interesting thing. And that is also what I think is the truest thing I could get at. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that, you know, you write these quotes down and you hope they're true and you hope they didn't just say that. But I think the true things they talk about in general are how their lives are changed by being who they are, which is different from, tell me about that fight we know you had with your husband. Don't put people in a defensive crouch. Listen to them. And they and once they see that you're listening, they'll tell you everything you need to know. And what I find is when you're listening, people will tell you how weird this all is for them and how they feel misunderstood and don't really have a way of Like some piece of press before you got there took on an outsized life of its own in their head or in the world. And so I don't think I I differentiate between men and women that way. But I do look very hard for stories about women where the woman isn't just talking about how hard it was to become someone who got a profile in the first place. A man... Talks more about his soul, and a woman talks about the struggle, and the struggle is always the same. It was hard. They people dismissed you. It took gumption, and I guess I'm, I'm more someone more interested in in a, a good story, and those stories aren't always as interesting. So, the story I'm looking for is not. How did you get here? It's what happened to you once you were here. And so I resist a woman telling me how she got here.
0: We're going to take a break here. But if you want to hear more from Taffy and myself on another topic, check out our Sleep Plus segment. Today, Taffy and I are going to continue our conversation about Fleischman is in trouble. We're going to talk about why being empathetic can make people mad. Toby's eating disorder and more. You won't want to miss it. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Money. That's my show. And of course, this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash the waves plus. Welcome back to The Waves. Taffy. Let's talk about another big theme in the show, ambition, and how marriage screws
1: it up or can screw it up. The premise of this show is how could it be that growing up and becoming more of an adult resulted in, like the metrics of adulthood, partnering, parenting, having a job, those things limit your choices. So where does your ambition go when your choices become limited? And who is allowed to say what should be good enough for us? You know, you have someone who is narrating the story who quit her job, who's allowed to be a stay-at-home mother, which you would call a privilege. Or you – no, you would call it a privilege. You would call it a privilege that she was able to make that choice, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. But you would also call it a lot of other things. And there is this – we talk about the patriarchy a lot it's not the patriarchy that is insisting that I that the only way m- my kids can get a play date is if I go to a mom's night out. That's not the patriarchy. It's like the matriarchy. I I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, you know, I just had this premiere for this show. And instead of spending the weekend like before it, just sort of processing the fact that this three-year thing that actually is five years because the book was published from when from when I started writing the book is like done and like I spent I spent that weekend having hair ripped out of my body my roots colored I got my nails done for the first time since my book tour I'm like so skeptical of things that make it so that you can't Use your hands Mm. or your time is taken up like in one like you're stuck in one place.
0: You do it because there are unspoken rules about
1: how you feel. And who gave us those rules? So we talk about like my husband is totally fine with my hair being gray. (laughs) Um, It's my mother who has asked that I never let her see my gray hair, that I can do whatever I want after she's gone. And that's my literal matriarchy. But (laughs) I do think that like. The way a lot of my choices were limited also by other women, the things I have to do at night, the emails I have to return, the text messages I have to put a thumbs up or a heart on are all from other women. And I guess the question is, is like, is that what we wanted? Like, are we happy to go to the mom's night out? Or what are we saying? Like, do we want to just maybe lie in bed? And watch TV by ourselves? Do we want to go to a movie? Like the mom's night out is always the same thing. It's this cocktail y thing with with, you know, blousy tops and jeans and heels and and it's kind of the room where it happens in my experience. Like oh, yeah. it's how you find out who's where you're supposed to play soccer. Like I've always felt like a little bit like I hover right outside the flame of information in terms of parenting and in those rooms is where the flame of information is. And they're all wonderful people that all agree to have this night out. But it's a night. It's a night of my life. Yeah. And it's a whole it's a
0: whole system that you sort of have to play a role in if you want. And I—and it prizes people who don't Claire work in the it, not Claire. Claire Danes's character. Rachel, and, yeah. Rachel in the story because it's like she wants to achieve a certain level of status in part so her kids have play dates so yeah. she can fit in. Yeah. And I totally relate to that. The information lockout is is real and your husband
1: cannot get in. He cannot get in. And it's a system that rewards women who don't work because they can be together during the day. They can volunteer at the school together. They can um, carpool in a way that you all you can't always and then they're doing you a favor and and everyone who's done me a favor is so nice mm-hmm. but that's not the same as fitting in it's mm-hmm. not the same as being part of things it's
0: the whole school system too that sets it up so parents have to volunteer and right. there's this whole like side network of information that you have to tap into you can't just send your kid to school and be like oh that's set
1: no. right it's not oh
0: it's very upsetting it's very i was upsetting. glad to see it in the story and. And I guess my question to that is like, does that hold, did that hold you back, at your ambition? I mean, that's a whole other job that, you know, a mother will have to do.
1: It held my children back. You know, it didn't hold me back. It held my children back. And this is how I always, you know, the Princess Bride, you know, in their their fire swamp. Mm -hmm. And he pulls him, like, they sink into the quicksand and you think they're gone. And then he pulls himself out with her attached her on his back Uh and they're like screaming for air that's how I always felt about every single day like that I would get it done despite the constraints but now that I look back on it because I can look back on it because my kids are taking themselves to practices and stuff I think actually no I should have put more time in I should have I should have spent more time with these women who, who spent time with each other. I should have driven my kids. I sh- I mean, I always like to say that I never really missed a basketball game, but that's that's my value. Their value. My kids' value would have been. Can you please like go get nail art put onto your fingers so that you can. Like, that we can go out to dinner with these, with our friends. Like, there's a point at which, especially in the suburbs, like, they don't invite your kids because they don't like you. Oh, my God.
0: That breaks my heart. We should say, I guess, that, Taffy, you were living in the, the suburbs in New Jersey. I was living recently. in the suburbs
1: of New Jersey until about a year and a few months ago. And a large part of writing the book and the television show was to be able to leave financially to be able to leave
0: um it seems like you're living the life that the character of Libby in the show would really be excited about i
1: think so but i it's funny i think i look a lot like libby but i i really you could say that maybe i subconsciously made myself so into a libby character So that you couldn't tell that I was really either Rachel or Toby. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, I think she would be very happy back in the city. Yeah, But she would still find that she had children and a husband and that today there's a basketball game at 630. And I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for everyone who stays home, who doesn't stay home. It's hard for everyone. Everyone has a complaint. Not everyone writes a book about their complaint.
0: Taffy Sir Ackner is a writer, journalist, and creator of the new show Fleischman is in Trouble. Taffy,
1: thank you for being on The Waves. Emily, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: And that's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer of Audio at Slate. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of Audio at Slate. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at, the waves at Slate.com. The Waves will be back next week, different hosts, different topic, same time and place.